How many of y'all believe that God is in control? Sometimes you look at what's going on in the world, it doesn't seem like the Lord is in control, but He is. Amen. So the sovereignty of God. Okay, beginning with verse 1. Chapter 21. If you have it, say praise the Lord. Okay, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. Amen. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. Pray that you would inspire us, God, by your spirit today, Lord, to preach it and to receive it, Father. Lord, we look to you. We need you, God, today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Okay. The sovereignty of God in working with world rulers or kings of the earth, you might call them. He is in control of even dictators. And it, sometimes it doesn't look like, and obviously they're not serving God. They don't live for the Lord. Some of them are evil. But God is still in control. He's able to take their heart and able to shift their thinking so that He is able to perform ultimately somehow, and I don't know how, that's ultimately God. I don't know. I can't explain everything. But ultimately God is in control of what's going on in the world. He controls the hearts of kings. They make decisions. And obviously some of those decisions are not according to the will of God. But the Bible talks about that God is in such control of the heart of that king that it's like a farmer who's standing by an irrigation and he has the ability to divert that water into different uh, rows or channels in that irrigation by simply putting his foot there and diverting that water into another uh, row. And so God says that's what he can do as well with the hearts of kings. He can literally change the direction of their thinking. Now I think that's important for us because at times, we look back in the book of Daniel, uh, there was a wicked king that was ruling in the days of Daniel, Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar. But Daniel still recognized that he was the king. And Daniel did not rebel against the king. Are you with me here? Okay. And so this is a good example for us that Daniel, even though he was under a very wicked, a pagan king, didn't believe in God at the first, Daniel never rebelled against that king. Why? Because he believed that God was in control of the heart of that king. And that God can change the thinking of that king. And eventually, God changed the king's mind, Nebuchadnezzar's mind, so that Nebuchadnezzar lifted his eyes up to heaven and called upon the name of the Lord. So you may eventually, when you get to heaven, see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. The rare situation where you have a pagan king probably converted to the faith. And it is because of that great man called Daniel he refused to rebel against the king. He just trusted God to take the heart of that king and to turn it whatever direction he wanted to turn it. And eventually that man was saved. So when you get in situations in relationship to authority, it's important for you, for me, not to rebel against authority. Just say, okay, God, I'm going to put this in your hands. I'm going to trust you. And you're able to take the heart, whether it be the boss or the king or the president or whoever it is, Take the heart of that person and direct it the way that you want to. So you just put it in God's hand and trust God that He's able to do that. That's what Daniel did. So, amen. So look at verse 1 again. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he wills. The power of God to even control the thoughts of a king. 
And verse 2, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the heart. Most people feel like they're right. Amen. I mean, probably most of us tonight feel like we're always right. And sometimes we're, we are right, and sometimes we're not. Right? Amen? And probably most of us will defend ourselves and say, well, I'm right. Well, praise God, hopefully we are. Sometimes we're not. And, but God looks at the heart. So let me give you an example of this in Acts chapter 8. If you'll go over there in Acts chapter 8. And the gospel is preached in Samaria. Philip goes to Samaria. And the Bible tells us while he's there, powerful things begin to happen. Verse 7, unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. Many taken with palsies and that were lame were what? Healed. Okay, you got your Bibles with you today? Verse 8, and there was great joy in that city. But, say but. There was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery. So he's oftentimes called Simon the sorcerer. Okay? So the Bible says in that city he used sorcery and bewitched the people. He would put spells on the people. Now the spiritual world is very, very real. Okay? We have this man here that's involved in sorcery, putting spells on people in that country. And the Bible says, giving out that himself was some great one. So he's presenting himself to be something really great. Okay? And verse uh, 10, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. I mean, he has so bewitched these people that the people of that city under his spell say, man, this man is a powerful man of God. You know? Now watch. Now... <laughs> It's interesting to me, the Bible doesn't give us details about what he did. Alright? But there's historical writings, traditional writings about this man that uh, says that he had power to move objects in his house to make them, literally, make them come and serve him. And you couldn't see the individual behind the objects that were being moved. They were invisible. Okay, so he had some power. There were some things that, that he actually did, actually performed, all right? Uh, some other things, and I don't necessarily believe, but they said he had, had the ability to change his body and turn it into gold. Now, I don't know how he did that, but that's what they say, okay? Um, so there's a lot of things about him. Now, one thing, as I, I'm going to read just a little bit further, uh, he got into a confrontation in, with Peter. Simon Peter. Say with me, Simon Peter. Now, Simon Peter, the Roman Catholic Church, claims that Simon Peter is the first pope. Have you all ever heard that? Okay. Simon Peter was not the first pope of Rome. The Simon that influenced Rome, the Roman Church, is Simon of Acts chapter 8, Simon Magus. He's the Simon. Not Simon Peter. Simon Magus influenced the Roman Church. Okay? So he, he really brought a spell over that uh, community of Rome. Now what happened was, let me tell you, was that the true Simon Peter, he got into a confrontation with Simon Magus, not only in Acts chapter 8, but Simon Magus would levitate. He could literally levitate by the power of demonic spirits. 
Now, I have never seen that before, okay, so I, I can't say uh, that I've experienced that, but evidently there are some people who have so much demonic power working in them and through them and with them that levitation takes place through these demon powers. And this was one of the ways that he would bring a spell or an influence upon people was he would levitate by the power of demons. Simon Peter happened to be in there, and it's called, you can read this, it's a, uh, and it was called Apostolical uh, Constitution or something like that, gives this story. And he's there when this man Simon Magnus is levitating. Now when he levitates, all the people are going wild. This man must be powerful. He must be of God because he has the ability to levitate. Well, Peter knew, Simon Peter, knew that Simon Magus was not of God. Now, he claimed to be the great power of God. He claimed to be a servant of God. Are you with me? And he was doing all these powerful demonstrations. But Peter knew that he wasn't real. He knew that he was of the devil. He knew that the levitation that was being performed was done by the power of demonic spirits. Okay? So when Simon Magus levitated by these demonic spirits, Simon Peter called out to God. And he said, God, if I am a true apostle, okay, of you, I am asking you, I'm praying to you, God, to take authority over these powers, the demonic spirits that are causing this man to levitate and let him fall to the ground but not let him die. So as Simon Peter is praying, he prays that prayer and God hears his prayer. He brings those demonic spirits under control. They're held at bay. They're no longer able to cause Simon Magus to levitate. He falls to the ground, he breaks his hip, and both of the flats of his feet. When that happens, the people that saw that said that the God that Simon Peter preached, Jesus Christ, was the only true God that there is, and many people converted to the faith as a result of this man being exposed and being uncovered for not being a man of God, but being used by the powers of the devil. Okay, now, in fact, many of the disciples of Simon Magus, and I don't have time to tell you everything about Simon Magus, but I've, when I was teaching the book of Revelation, I explained something about his history. I don't have time to do that today. But Simon Magus lost a lot of his disciples on that day because his disciples saw that he was a fraud, that he was phony, okay? But believe it or not, even after that, some of his most devoted disciples continued to follow him and went all the way to Rome and were continued to be used by the devil to promote false doctrine in Rome. And a lot of the false doctrine that's in the Roman Catholic Church comes from Simon Magus and his disciples. Okay, you with me here? So when it talks about a man justifying himself, he can say, well, anybody can say they're from God. Anybody just like Simon Magus, I'm a man of God, I'm powerful, you know. But the Bible says God ponders the heart. God really, God knows if the person is for real or not or if they're a fraud or not. Amen? 
So just because people have the ability to do signs and miracles and wonders, you know, well, first of all, does it line up with the Word of God? Then you walk in discernment. But if anybody is turning people away from Jesus Christ, I mean, that's a pretty solid, you know, definite reality that these people aren't of God, correct? They're turning away people from Jesus Christ. They're turning them away from the Word of God. If they're turning them away from righteousness, they're not from God. It doesn't matter if they say they're from God or not. Okay? So God ponders the heart. He knows what's real and, and what's not real. So, so let's keep reading about Simon Magus here. Amen. Verse 11, And him they had regard because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So what did he preach? He preached the name of Jesus Christ and what? The kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It's not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So first of all, if somebody's a true apostle from God, they're going to preach the name of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has to do with the Holy Ghost. Okay? Let's keep going. As a result of that, they were what? Baptized both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, oh wow, Simon Magus was even baptized in the name of the Lord. Okay. Now the Bible says when he believed, he was baptized. So he's baptized in the name of Jesus. So Philip baptized him. Now I'm not going to judge Philip, but this man is not a true believer. Now maybe he professed that he was, you know, but he wasn't a true believer. And it's evident as we go through the Scripture here. Okay, so number one, either... The Lord told Philip to go ahead and baptize him because he's made a confession, right? Or Philip didn't discern that he was a, a, a phony. You with me here? But the Bible says he believed and he was baptized. So that means he's baptized in the name of the Lord. So verse 13, Then Simon himself believed also when he was baptized. He continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Amen. Okay, you with me? So this man is baptized in Jesus' name, but this man is not saved. I want to say that again. This man is baptized in Jesus' name, but this man is not saved. I'm going to prove it to you. He's an imposter. Okay? He's tares among the wheat. He's planted there by Satan. With me? Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they what? Might receive the Holy Ghost. Amen? So they're water baptized in Jesus' name, but they don't have the Holy Ghost. Where if they're saved, why send for Peter and John? If all it takes 
for a person to come into the kingdom of God to be saved is to accept Jesus as their Savior. Hear me, church. These people not only so-called accept Jesus as their Savior, they're water baptized in Jesus' name, but they haven't received the Holy Ghost yet. And so the Bible says Peter and John are sent forth. Sent for because something's not right here. These people be baptized in water in Jesus' name, but they don't have the Holy Ghost yet. Okay? So there's something off. Something has to be corrected. You with me here? Who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive what? The Holy Ghost. For as yet He was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, or literally into the name of Jesus. With me here? Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. So it was important, not only for these people to be baptized in Jesus' name, but to receive the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. It was so important, they sent four apostles, Peter and John, to make sure that that happened. Okay? With me here? Verse 18, what about Simon though? When Simon saw that through the laying on the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. See? In this man's world, everything had a price. It's the kind of person he was. In his world, everything has a price. Saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But when Peter said on, uh, uh, unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Amen? Repent thereof of this thy wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray you to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of Samaria. So he was a fraud. He was almost saved, but he was a fraud. Now, I don't want you to lift your hand because that's not what this service is about. But I'm going to ask you a question so you can ask yourself this question. Do you have the Holy Ghost tonight? Do you have the Holy Ghost? When was the last time you spoke in tongues? Okay? If you haven't spoken in tongues for a while, you need to find a place of prayer and you need to renew yourself in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Okay? It's essential. It's essential for salvation. Because if we're not full of the Holy Ghost, we'll begin to walk in the flesh. And I don't want to be a fraud. I want to be genuine, don't you? And I know you do as well. Amen? So this man presented himself to be something that he wasn't. I told you a long time ago, you better really be in prayer because there's going to be an infiltration of people that will come into the church of the living God and they're not for real. Okay? They're going to be used of the enemy. So you have to be very, very full of God and walking in discernment of the Spirit to know. And I'm asking you to pray for me. It's a dangerous business. 
I don't like to use the word business when it comes to the church, but I will just tell you this. It's a dangerous business when you're talking about the things of God in the church. Okay? So this man eventually became so used by the powers of darkness that he would levitate by the power of demons. And Apostle Peter later on confronted him and prayed, and those demons were set at bay. They could not hold him up into the heavens. He claimed that he was ascending into the heavens so that he could hear the prayers of his disciples. And Peter said, oh, no, no, no. You're not going to ascend up. He prayed, and that man fell to the ground and broke his feet and hip. Okay? Now, there's, there's not a lot of this that goes on in the United States of America. And I wonder, sometimes wonder why, okay? I really do wonder why that you don't have these kinds of manifestations in America. You do in other nations, maybe Africa or China or whatever, just real strange uh, occurrences. Ethiopia, Teclamerium, if you read the book Unseen Hands, it used to be in the library, I don't know if it still is, but Teclamerium was a very powerful apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, Okay? There came a time in Teclamerian's in his life where he believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. He's a young man. And he had a vision from God. Even though he was baptized in Jesus' name, he was standing on the outside of Jesus Christ. And so he began to seek God in prayer and fasting. Lord, how can I be on the outside of Christ if I, if he's, you know, claimed to believe in Jesus and, and be filled with the Spirit? And the Lord gave him Galatians chapter 3, 26 and 27, read it. It says, Know ye not that as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ? And Teclamerium, through prayer and fasting, God showed him that he needed to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In Ethiopia. He got baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and literally under His ministry, He's still alive today, under His ministry, literally hundreds of thousands of people have come to the knowledge of the truth. Hundreds and thousands of people. And they're always, if you read the book, you'll see, they're always in spiritual battle and conflicts. In fact, in, in, even in His account, there was one man that levitated. Okay? Like this Simon Magnus, he would Magus, he would levitate by the power of demons. So they deal with a lot of that stuff over in Ethiopia. We don't so much here. But that doesn't mean that we don't have the same kind of frauds in America. Okay? So we have to be sure that we're walking full of the Spirit of the Living God. So I, going back to Proverbs, I'm going to spend too much time on that verse if I'm not careful. Go back to Proverbs 21, verse 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. God knows if somebody's for real or not. So you can, we can talk all day long. I'm right, they're wrong, you know. And we can plead our case and declare that we're right, but God knows what's in the heart. Amen? Okay, verse 3. I told you before, every one of these verses are a, a, a message in and of themselves. Okay, so I'm basically preaching to you 31 sermons tonight. I'll try not to be too long, but that's the reality. Okay, verse 3. To, to do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Remember 1 Kings chapter 15? 
What did Jesus, what did God say to Saul? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Say with me, obedience is better than sacrifice. Are you with me? Okay. So you got people today that don't believe you have to live holy. They don't preach holiness. But they pray. Some of them raise a lot of money. Okay. Trying to do good things for the kingdom of God. Well, where do they fall in God's eyes? They may, they may pray a lot. They may fast a lot. They may raise a lot of money. They may write a lot of books. They may have big churches. But remember this, brothers and sisters. When God looks at it, He says obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen? I mean, I went to a conference not long ago. It's, well, it's been a few years back. And a man stood up and he was preaching. He was talking about how so many apostolic preachers today are going away from holiness. And he said one of these preachers were talking to him about, well, you know, I don't believe we need to do that anymore and whatnot. And God gave him that verse. That, that man of God he said to this man that was compromised with holiness, obedience is better than sacrifice. So you can talk about how big your church is. You can talk about how much growth you have. By the hundreds, okay, whatever. But in God's eyes, obedience is better than sacrifice. That's the way God looks at it. So praise the Lord. God wants us to love and obey Him. You know, you read Isaiah chapter 1, the Bible talks about Israel in a time when they weren't walking with God the way they're supposed to. And, you know, they'd keep the, the, the moon, the festivals, the moons, festivals, and all of that. They'd bring sacrifices to the Lord, you know, animal sacrifices. And it says, God says, away with this. I don't want any of this. I don't want any of your religious observations of the Sabbath day and the keeping of the moons and, and all these sacrifices. He says, away with this. I don't even want it. Why? Because when they were coming into the presence of God, they were just going through the form. All it was was just religious. Yeah, the sacrifice was there, but they weren't bringing themselves. See, we come to church, man, and we throw money in the offering plate. Okay? We do this or we do that. We come to church and our hearts are not even there. We're just going through the religious motions. That's all we're doing. Just like Israel did. God doesn't want us to just go through a ritual. Just come to church and throw money in the plate. Go through motions. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen. Now I believe the Word of God today. Verse 4. A high look and a proud heart and the plan of, of the wicked is sin. High look, proud, proud heart, plan of the wicked is sin. Okay, so what's a high look? It's when, when somebody looks down on somebody else. It's a high look. It's an arrogance. It's a pride. Well, I'm better than you. Okay? So the high look, and then the Bible says, next thing, a proud heart. It's what's in the heart. The attitude. With me? Sometimes we major on actions. 
And I think actions are important, correct? In serving God. We focus on action. But where's our heart? You know, we walk around with a high look, you know. Prideful, arrogance. And we're full of pride in our hearts. God doesn't just look on the actions. He looks on the attitude of my heart today. God wants my heart to be right with Him. He doesn't want me just to be going through the motions. How's the heart? See? Where's the heart? The heart? Is that that thing pumping tonight? In my chest? No. That's your mind. Your will. Your emotions. You're not going to come to church and, you know, go through the motions and whatever. But our minds aren't right. Hearts aren't right with God. If your mind is wicked, if my mind is wicked, then you can bring all the sacrifices you want to. But it's not acceptable to God. Obedience is better than sacrifice. The high look and that, that heart, the proud heart, the, the mind that's not right with God. See, God looks at the heart, man. You say, does God care about what I'm thinking? Yes. Maybe sometime I'll just I'll preach a message on the thought life. Just the thought life. Because Christianity, especially in America, focuses on outward externals and actions. Right? But what how's my thought life tonight? Where's your mind? Is your mind clean? Is your mind pure? Are your thoughts pure? Your thoughts clean? God cares about your thought life. See, and I can't see your thoughts. I mean, they can turn into actions. But I can't see Brother Jonathan's thought tonight. But God can. God knows everything we're thinking tonight. So He doesn't want us to have that high look, that proudful look, and then a heart that's not right, the mind that's not right, full of pride. And the plowing of the wicked is sin. That's sad, isn't it? The plowing of the wicked is sin. You know why? Well, they think, I don't need God. I don't need God anymore. You know, I'll do this on my own. So I'll go out there and I'll plow my field. You know what God is saying? Even the preparation of somebody like this, even their preparation is wrong. If my mind is not right with God, my heart's not right with God, my look's not right with God, even what I am preparing to do, even if I'm trying to sow a field, that preparation is not acceptable to God. God says it's sin. Or the people, they do a lot of things. I mean, they plow fields. I don't want to be this person, and I know you don't. They plow the field, they sow the seed, and they act like they're the one that brings the rain. They act like they're the one that causes the seed to grow. No, God God is the one that causes the rain and God is the one that causes the seed to grow. You and I ever get to a place where we think it's me. I'm the one that's causing the rain. I'm the one that's causing the seed to grow. The Bible says, God says that's sin. That's the way He looks at it. I don't want to be a person in life that's trying to plow fields and plant seed and God said, everything you're doing right now, the way I look at it, it's sin. Why? Because they do not put God in their life. It's all about them. They're self-made men. 
Amen. You with me here? Is everybody all right? Am I boring you yet? Not yet? I will. No, not really. So, this business went to, I read a story, a businessman went to a, an employee's house. This businessman, very, very wealthy, had done a lot, okay, produced a lot. He goes in there and he's walks in there, his old arrogant self, prideful self, you know. And uh, the employee's son, young son, was there at the table. And this businessman started talking to him. He said, I'm a self-made man. And that little boy looked at him and said, well, why did you make yourself like that? Amen. So that's basically what we're talking about here. Some people's minds are not right. Their heart's not right with God. And they go through life and they take credit for everything. God said everything you're doing is just sin. Your plowing is sin. Your preparation is sin. Now this is the Word of God. This is what I preach you, the Word of God. I don't preach philosophy to you. If you want that, you'll have to go somewhere else. And I preach you the Word of God. And I believe the Word of God. I don't just preach it to you. Amen? So what is God saying? He's telling you that sin is more than just the actions that we do. Sin is in the mind. Sin is in the heart. Sin is in your attitude and your approach to life. And, you know, are you self-made or are you depending on God? Okay. Verse 5. Y'all with me here? The thoughts of the diligent tend to only to plenteous. Say the thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteous. Okay, let me stop there. First of all, he's telling you and me that you, we need to think about what we're doing. Think about what you're doing. Think right. Remember, get the mind right. Think right. Think about what you're doing. Put some thought into your life. And after you put some thought and you think it through, then be diligent. Okay? Work really hard. So don't just work hard, but think. Use your mind. And then work hard. And the Bible says it will produce what in your life? Plenty. But everyone that is hasty only to what? Faith. Well, what is it? Want. Okay. So if I'm hasty about everything in life, then pretty soon I'm going to find myself in a position of want. Because I'm not thinking things through and I'm not diligent. I'm not consistent. I'm not working hard. So God is telling us to be thoughtful in what we do, be consistent in, in our life, be faithful in your life, and you'll have plenty. When you start getting hasty, you don't think things through, and you're no longer diligent in the things that you should be diligent in, the Bible says that's what will produce uh, the need in your life. Okay? Verse 6. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is vanity tossed to and fro of them that seek death. So there's one way people get money is they get money in a wrong way. You can get money in the wrong way. You can lie, cheat, deceive. Don't be that kind of a person. So the Bible's talking about uh, the wrong way to get money. Verse 7, some people rob. The robbery of the wicked shall destroy them because they refuse to do justice. They, do, they refuse to do what's right. So he talked about some people rob to get their money. Okay? They're thieves. Amen. Okay? 
And what's going to happen to them? The Bible says they'll destroy themselves. Self-destruction. Now you watch in life, you look at people who don't treat people right. Okay? They, they're thieves. They rob people for money. They acquire riches in an unlawful manner, biblically, an unbiblical manner. You watch them. With time, it'll all fall apart. Amen? Because they will destroy themselves. Self-destruction. Because they refuse to what? Do right. Verse 8, The way of a man is forward and strange, but as for the pure, his work is what? Right. Let me read it again. The way of a man is forward and strange, but as for the pure, his work is right. You know what a forward person is? A forward person is a person who refuses to do what's right. A forward person is so, somebody who is stubborn. A forward person is somebody... Everybody with me here? Okay. This is for all of us, not just me. A forward person is somebody that won't listen to anybody. They're not going to tell me what to do. That's the forward person. That's the forward attitude. A person that will not listen, a person that is stubborn, a person that is rebellious and won't do what is right. Okay? With me here? But as for the pure, his work is right. Right? Amen. I want to be, I want to be the kind of person that, that lives for God. I want to be a Christian. I want to live the right way. Amen? I don't want to, listen, brother and sister, a forward person is self-governed. Nobody can tell them anything. They're not under anybody's authority. They, they just do whatever they want to do, right? Praise God. And you don't want to be that kind of person. You want to be the kind of person that seeks God, that lives for God, that's a Christian, that lives the right way. Hallelujah. And you say, well, it doesn't seem to be working. It'll work every time. It'll work every time. Amen. Verse 9. It is better to dwell in the corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. Now, we've, we've been through this one before, I think. I guess Solomon had some, a few of these in his harem, you know, one or two. And uh, he had a wide house. You know what a wide house is? It's a big house. It's a mansion. You can have a wide house. You can have a really big house. But if you've got a woman that's always fussing and fighting, a woman that's always on your case. It's better, the Bible's saying right here, it's better to live in a little hut, little house, than a big old mansion. Right? Say praise the Lord. You took your vows for better or for worse. One man said, I didn't realize how worse it was going to be. <laughs> but I promise you, you in here, you can get the wrong mate. Get the wrong mate. She's always on your case all the time. Okay? But remember, this is a general principle. It can go both ways. There are men that are constantly on their wife's case all the time. They never get off their case. Okay? Now that's no way to live. To go home, if you're a husband, and as soon as you get home, man, your wife just letting you have it. It's on your case. 
Would you want to go home? Well, we'll come to another verse in a minute. You know where most of them go? To the desert. They leave. Now, I'm not justifying men for you to leave. I'm just telling you why they do. Okay? But how would you like to be a wife living in a house where that husband is constantly on your case? A Christian home, a husband and a wife should be living in, in, a, in a home of peace. Peace. Hallelujah. Man, who wants to live in, in a home? Even if it's a mansion. Well, he gave me a mansion, Pastor. Yeah. She gave me a mansion. Yeah. Who wants to live in a mansion and you got constant conflict in the home? Amen. Praise the Lord. I think the closest, closest thing that you can get to hell in life is, is to marry the wrong person. You marry the wrong person, I promise you. Amen. That's about as close to hell as you're going to find yourself in this life. Okay? So you be very smart, number one, to listen to your pastor. If he comes to you and God, I, I personally believe, you might not believe it, but I personally believe that God will let that pastor know if that relationship is a good thing or not. Okay? You can override that if you want to. I'm not God. I'm not your Lord. You can override that if you want to, but you might find out later on that I was right about that. So, you know, praise the Lord. There's no way to live. It's a constant conflict and war, man. It's supposed to be a home of peace. Yeah, but all those sisters in this church, you're good to your husbands, right? They want to come home, don't they? Don't they? I'm talking to the sisters. Do they want to come home? Okay. Praise the Lord. I thank God for Sister Christina. I thank God. I really do. I can only imagine what it would be like to live with a woman and want to fuss and fight all the time. Amen. You know the kind of destruction that can bring? Amen. Somebody said amen. amen. Say, for better or for worse. I just didn't know how worse it was going to be. But I said that. <laughs> Say praise the Lord. Now, if you're living like that and you're living in constant conflict and war, that's not the will of God. Now, Solomon had a few of these in his harem. And here we go, verse 10. The soul of the wicked desireth evil. His neighbor findeth no favor in his eyes. You know, brothers and sisters, there's some people, they want to do what, they don't want to do what's right. Some people live to do wrong. And when he says they, they find no favor in their neighbor's eyes, brothers and sisters, they're so people, they're so evil and they're so wicked, they go about doing wrong and they don't care about what anybody thinks. They don't care who they're destroying, whether it's a home, a family, a church, a business, a community, society. They don't care who they hurt. That's what that means right there. They, no favor in the neighbor's eyes. They don't care. 
They'll just go about. They're so evil. They're hell-bent, if you've ever heard that term before, hell-bent on doing the wrong thing. There's some people like that. They're called wicked. Verse 10 says it. Verse 11, when the scorner is punished, the simple is made wise. And when the wise is instructed, he receives knowledge. Now, what's a scorner? What's a simple person? What's a wise person? The verse is talking about these three. The scorner, the simple, and the wise. Okay, the scorner is the mocker. The scorner is the kind of person. These are real people. They really do live. They're not aliens from another planet. They really do live on planet earth. The scorner is somebody who mocks the faith. They mock being faithful to God. To them, being faithful to God is a big joke. Okay? The Bible says when the scorner is punished, the simple is made wise. Now who's the simple? If the scorner is the one who mocks faith and faithfulness, then the simple person is the person that's easily swayed. Brother, sister, there's some people that are so easily swayed. Why are they easily swayed to do wrong? The simple person is a carnal person. Simple person is led by the flesh. And it's so easy to sway them into doing what's wrong. Amen. Not very strong. But when the simple man, in one translation says the stupid man, easily swayed man, sees the scorner being punished, the simple says, Ooh, I don't want that to happen to me. I saw what happened to so-and-so, but I don't want that to happen to me. That was bad. So I'm going to learn from other people's punishment. Right? How many of you ever learned from somebody else's punishment? You see somebody, something really bad happened to say, Ooh, I don't want that to happen to me. Right? Okay. That's what he's talking about. You can learn... But will you? Can I ask you a question? And I, and I know you'll let me, but why do we have to learn by watching somebody else being punished? Only the simple person learns that way by seeing somebody else. It go bad for somebody else and punishment come on them. Only simple people learn that way. You know how the wise learn? This verse tells us how the wise learn. All they have to do is hear the instruction. All they have, you just have to teach them. They don't have to see anybody punished. They don't have to see anybody lose everything. They don't have to see, you with me here? Anybody suffer from the consequences of their actions? They don't need that because they are wise. All you have to do is teach them. Are you the wise? I want to be the wise. Is all God's got? He's just going to say, "I just got to read the Bible." That's all I need. Read the Bible. I'll be studying, preparing to teach you guys. That God will be correcting me on on so many things. He corrects me, and I say, "Woo, Lord, your word's powerful." 
Oftentimes I've told Christina, I said, after I get through study, I said, man, God's Word has straightened me out. Corrected me. Why? Because I want to be a wise person. I don't want to see somebody else's destruction and failure and consequences come to them and say, oh, I get it now. No, if you're that kind of person, you're simple or stupid. And I know you don't like me to use that term, but that's a biblical term. The wise learn from instruction. Hallelujah. Verse 11, When the scorner is punished, the simple is made wise. When the wise is instructed, he receiveth knowledge. That's what you want. That's what I want to be. That kind of person. I want to be wise. I don't want to be the scorner that mocks faith and faithfulness. I don't want to be the simple that has to learn by watching somebody else suffer. Consequence. I want to learn because the Word of God teaches me. Amen. Save yourself a lot of pain, man. Are you with me? How many of y'all want to enjoy life? Anybody here want to enjoy life? If you don't lift your hand, you're, you're, just, you're lying. You want to enjoy life, don't you? Okay, yes. Um, so how many of you want, as, want to avoid as much pain as you can? Yes, that's, that's me. I want to avoid as much, avoid as much pain as I can. And I want to enjoy his life as much as I can. Right? Correct? Do you know that's why people do what they do in life, in choices most of the time? is because they're trying to avoid the pain and increase the enjoyment. Amen? Even if you're not a Christian, man, most people live that way. Less pain, more joy. Right? They start listening to God. Listen to the Word of God. He knows. He knows what we need. Praise the Lord, church. Hallelujah. Why do people do what they do? Less pain, more joy. <laughs> I want to learn from the Word of God. Y'all believe that? Verse 12, The righteous man wisely considered the house of the wicked, but God overthroweth the wicked for their wickedness. It's wise for you to keep your eyes on people who are not living godly. It's wise for you to watch them so that you can see. Now, not that you have to learn by what they're going through. Or you're going to try to follow in their footsteps. But it's still, you keep your eye on them. Okay? But what does the Bible say God's going to do to the wicked? He's going to overthrow them. If you don't believe it, look at Sodom and Gomorrah. They had a lot of pleasure, man. A lot of sin in Sodom and Gomorrah. They lived for pleasure. They lived for the world. Plenty of bread. Plenty of partying. And God brought them down. Destroyed Sodom. Okay? That's what God says is going to happen to the wicked. Verse 13, Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. Now, when you talk about the sovereignty of God, God is not only in control of the powers and kings and rulers, He's sovereignly in control over the poor. So that if you and I close our ears to the poor, and I'm talking about legitimate need, okay, and there's always a right way to do things. Remember, you, we need, you know, don't just... Some people that don't deserve... Because all they're going to do is spend it on cigarettes or 
beer or whatever. You know what I'm saying? But you have a legitimate need. Somebody don't have no clothes. You clothe them. Somebody doesn't have any food. You feed them. Amen? There's a right way to approach it. But I, I guarantee it's not when somebody's standing on the street corner and says, uh, you know, with a sign, we'll work for food. And they, no, they won't work for food. You work for food? Follow me. I got some work for you to do. Oh, no. Test them. They don't want to work for food. That's a sign to cover up. I just want money. Say, so you put a dollar in their hat or whatever. That's not good. That's not the right way to do it. Amen. So there's a right way to do it. Use wisdom and some common sense when it comes to helping people. But you have a legitimate need. Poor. Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. Legitimate needs, man. Step up to the plate. I, I personally been in situations of pastoring people in this church. Legitimate needs. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, legitimate need. I can't remember. You can ask my wife. I can't remember. Legitimate, legitimate need came to me from this church that I didn't step up the plate and help those people. Because I believe the Word of the living God. Amen? There are certain guidelines in the Scripture that, that govern it. Even, even the helping of widows. There's, there's, there's things that have to be observed and followed for even the widows to be helped. So you have to apply Scripture. You have to be wise in who you help and how you help and the way you go about it. But you come across legitimate need. God says your ears should be open to the poor. Why is that? Because He's watching. Whoso stopped his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. That tells you that God is in control. He's watching over the poor. He's watching over the way you and I handle the poor. Sovereign, sovereignly. If I help him, he'll help me in a time of need. Amen? If I close my ears, when I cry in a time of need, God's not going to hear me. So I, I brothers and sisters, I don't just preach the Word of God to you. I believe the Word of God. I believe it. And at some point, everybody's going to have a need. some point, you, it might be going really good for you right now, but I promise you, man, you live in this world long enough, you're going to have a need at some point in your life. And you're going to thank God for the times in your life that you sowed helping somebody else. You're going to thank God for the times that you stepped up and you help somebody else in need. And that's why I thank God for this church. Because all we have to do is stand up and say, there's a need. And I can't remember, amen, a time where you didn't step up and help people meet that need. Why is that? Because someday, you're going to have a need. If you didn't help anybody, you're going to cry, I have a need. But God says, you, your cry won't be heard. Because you reap what you sow. Hallelujah. Somebody said praise the Lord. Man, you want to sow some things in the kingdom of God? Hallelujah. You won't love? If you won't love, sow mercy. But I wish somebody loved me. Well, you got to sow 
some things in your life. I wish somebody to help me. You gotta sow some help. There's a principle. God is not only sovereign in control of the rules of this world, He's in control of the poor. He's in control of your need getting met. God takes care of us. And there's some people that got themselves in their own problem. I know that. But I'm talking about legitimate. There's some people, man, for whatever reason, they can't, they can't support themselves. And we gotta help them. Okay? Or they fall on hard times. You gotta help them. Say praise the Lord. So from time to time, you'll see at the end of your, our business meeting, you're gonna see up there benevolence. This is things, needs that have come up in the church. And by the grace of God, we've been able to do it up to this point. Okay? Hallelujah. And it's important. It's important. Now, I'm not going to open a bread kitchen. I'm not going to do that. We were in a church. They did that for a while. Oh, I, I learned from some things. And I learned not only what to do, but I learned what not to do. And I'm not opening a bread kitchen. Hallelujah. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go down the street and see the poor sleeping on the street and say, hey, come, uh, church right up the street here. I'll open the door. You can come in there and sleep if you want to. I'm not going to do that. There's a right way to do it. Use wisdom. But I'm just trying to tell, help you understand that God is sovereignly watching over the poor. Legitimate poor. You help them. You help them where you can. Say, praise the Lord. Verse 14, a gift in secret pacifies anger and reward in the bosom. Strong wrath. What is he talking about? Bribes. Okay. Now, I don't think that Solomon is putting his stamp of approval on that. I don't think Solomon said, hey, it's okay for you to bribe your way through life. Okay, somebody's mad at you and to, uh, to get them off your back, give them a little money. What Solomon is saying is it works. <laughs> okay. It works. He's not saying to do it. Amen? Because what, I'll tell you what's going to happen if you do. If somebody threatens you or your family and you, you know, bribe you, hold you hostage or whatever, ransom, and you give them money, well, guess what? They're going to ask for some more. And it's for some more. They're just going to keep coming for more. So I don't think it's a, it's a wise thing to do. But he did recognize as the king that at times you could appease people's wrath. You just pay them off. Amen? Yeah. So if you're going to school and somebody's bullying you and wanting to fight you every day, just give them $10 and say, leave me alone. I'm not putting my stamp of approval on them. I'm just saying sometimes it might work, but probably not because the next day they'll come, give me ten more. <laughs> and I won't pick on you today. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that approach. But Solomon saw it work from time to time. Amen? Now I want to read you a story over in Acts, the book of Acts. I like the book of Acts tonight as well as the book of Proverbs. And I want to show you a story about a man who wanted to be bribed. His name was Felix. And, act, and Brother Bishop calls him Old Felix. In Acts 24, 
Okay, Acts 24. And uh, you, you ever heard of a man by the name of Paul? Okay. Verse 24, Acts 24, 24. After certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, say Drusilla, say she's a bad woman. <laughs> she was a bad woman. And I mean that literally. In that day, Drusilla was known as a bad woman. She was married. And guess who told her to live with Felix? A so-called prophet named Simon Magus. Simon the sorcerer who I taught you about earlier convinced Drusilla to live, to sleep with Felix. She's a married woman. She's married to a king at this time. But she's sleeping with Felix. The counsel of Simon Magus. She's a bad, bad woman. Very evil. Very evil. And so the Bible says that here we have Felix came with his wife Drusilla. And this is Herod's daughter, by the way, as well. So she's got royalty in her, in her veins. She's a married woman, but she's committing adultery. So Felix is sitting there with his wife, which was a Jewish. He sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now watch this. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Those three things is what Felix needed to hear because he wasn't a man of righteousness or temperance or even knew about the judgment to come. Didn't live like it either. So Paul is preaching, right? Paul is in chains. And he's preaching about righteousness and temperance and judgment to come. And the Scripture tells us Felix trembled. One, one, the, the word tremble, we get the English word from, means that he was terrified. The Spirit of God was speaking through Paul. Paul was talking about, you're going to face judgment. You're not living righteously. You're not living in self-control. You're going to face the judgment of God Almighty. And the power of God is so strong during that court that Felix is literally terrified with fear. That, you know what that tells me? He trembled at the Word. He's about that close, brothers and sisters, to becoming a believer. He's about that close of being water baptized in Jesus' name and being filled with the Holy Ghost. He's about that close. Paul is preaching. The Spirit of God is on him. He's terrified. He's trembling. Conviction is there. He's that close. But something steps in there and cuts the sermon short. Alexander White, who, who writes a lot of things about characters in the Bible, said this. He said, Felix trembled and came close to being baptized in water and becoming a believer. But he said, notice, the Bible doesn't say 
Drusilla trembled. She was not terrified like Felix was. And Alexander White says he believes that it was Drusilla that cut the preaching short. Because obviously she didn't want Felix to become a converted Christian. He was that close. Felix trembled. Drusilla didn't. She's a picture of that woman that's not Lady Wisdom. She's a picture of that woman, the Bible talks in the book of Proverbs, that leads into the pit. Her steps are into the grave. And many people, Alexander White wrote, many people are led by this Drusilla or her sisters. Led by Drusilla or her sisters into the graves. Now, what did he say? Well, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. See, something's cut it short. Okay? The woman didn't tremble, but the man did. So she sent, sent Paul away, stopped the preaching, stopped the move of God right there. Paul goes away, and the Bible says, guess what? Paul appeared before Felix many times after this. But never ever again does it say that Felix trembled. What did he want? Well, the Bible tells us. Verse 26, He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul that he might lose, lose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener and commune with him. Paul said, I, the reason why Felix sent for Paul is he wanted that gift. He wanted that bribe. He said, you give me money and I'll let you go. How could Paul, brothers and sisters, when he stands there and he preaches as a servant of the Most High God, he preaches of, of what? Righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. How can he give in to the request of that man and pay the man money. See, Paul knew, listen, Paul knew that if he gave Felix the money, that he would only confirm Felix in his sinful lifestyle and put him in hell. And Paul was not that kind of a man. He would not have the blood of Felix on his hands. I don't want to confirm anybody in their sin and have their blood on my hands. So Paul would rather continue to be a prisoner of the gospel of Jesus Christ and not be released and go free in order to not have blood on his hands. If Alexander White is correct about this, ultimately it's Drusilla, a very evil, wicked, seductress woman that has blood on her hands today. And these women lead people into the graves. 
they lead them into the depths of hell. And she did that, man. You find out all he wanted after that was just money. I want to be like Paul, don't you? I think, uh, you know, preachers today, they sell out for money, man. Big time. It's all about money. It's all about numbers. They're not faithful to God at all. They'll confirm people in their sinful lifestyle if you just give them money. And that's the reality. I'm sad to tell you, but that's the truth. I'd rather people tell people the truth and lose their money than to have their eternal blood on my hands. I will not compromise with you for money. Amen. I won't do it. I won't ever do it. I've got a covenant with my God. My wife knows it. I've got a covenant with my God. And I have no problem doing this. I'll get a job. If I need to get a job, I'll get a job to stay faithful to preaching this Word. If that's what I got to do. But you're, you're not going to buy me and you're not going to hire me because I am not a hireling. Okay? I was working when we started the church. And if, if it ends that way, then I'll, I'll be glad to work. But I'm going to keep preaching the Word of God. And I'm, I'm, not, and I'm not saying that because I'm fishing for anything. Some preachers do, man. They fish all the time. <laughs> I'm not saying that because I'm fishing. I'm telling you, my wife knows. I have a covenant with God Almighty. I'll be faithful and preach this Word. Okay? So you get mad, whatever. You can't bribe me. Can't bribe me. I'll, I'll, I'll call you in my office and I'll correct you. I don't care how much money you're bringing. How much money you're giving. And I've done it. And I've lost people because I did it. And I knew when I did it, I was going to lose them. I am not that kind of a man. I'm just telling you. Okay? How could I be? Stand up and preach to you righteousness and temperance and judgment to come. The things of God, eternal things. And then all you got to do is say, Here, Pastor. with me here? I personally believe because the Bible does not tell us that Felix would ever say I personally believe that both he and Drusilla today are in hell. And they came brothers and sisters they came that close to being saved. That close. How many of y'all would probably get saved if Paul was standing in front of you? Yeah, it's good that you're not lifting your hand. Because I preach to you the Jesus that Paul preaches. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. There's some people, they're not afraid of anything, man. They're not afraid of God. They're not afraid of the Word of God. They're not afraid of anything. They're like Drusilla, man. They don't tremble. My goodness, I just don't understand it. You talk about eternity? And you're going to stiffen up, harden up against God? You've lost your mind. 
You, how many of y'all realize eternity's at stake? Yeah. I, I believe it. So we talk about this. The Bible talks about it here. Amen. A gift in secret pacifieth anger and a reward in the bosom. Strong wrath. Sometimes that's the truth. And Paul was offered it, but he turned it down. Jesus, thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. One thing about uh, Brother Edmonds, I've known him a long time. And he, he's not, he doesn't have his hand down. He trusts God, man. Literally trusts God for everything. And God honors that. Right? He's a, Brother Edmonds, a man of conviction. The uh, ALJC, which he's a part of right now, it's a really a good group. It's really a good group. I haven't really ever felt led to be a part of that a particular denomination, but it's a good group he's a part of. Okay? They think different. I'm just going to put it to you that way. They think different than some oneness churches think. Okay? Uh, I'm not going to get into details. Because you, you're saints, you don't know what we deal with, okay? But they're different in their thinking and their approach. But sometimes there are things within that group that Brother Emmons doesn't agree with. And so there have been times when he has threatened to pull out of that group. You know, as good as that group is, and it is a good group. There's, there's some things that are not... In every group, something's not right, you know. So he threatened to pull out of it. He said, oh, Brother Edmonds, please don't pull out. He said, Brother Edmonds, we need you. Brother Edmonds said, well, you're going to have to put up with what I'm saying, what I'm preaching. You're going to have to put up with the way I live, what I believe. That man walks a holiness standard straight. It's straight as an arrow, man. Okay? His holiness standard is very high standard. He's going, all right, I won't go, but you're going to have to put up with me. And they say, okay, Brother Edmonds, yeah, we'll put up with you. Amen? They wanted him to go to Hong Kong. One organization wanted him to go to Hong Kong. They were trying to force him to go to Hong Kong. He walked into that organization, big, I'm talking about the big, the top, and put his license on the table and not with a rebellious spirit that's not brother Edmonds but he told him he said you know I, he said this would be the first time that a man was ever sent somewhere that God didn't send him he said God sent me to Taiwan turned in his license okay I'm talking about a whole I'm not a large organization with a lot of churches supporting him he turned it in. And I'm going where I'm going where God sent me, not where man sends me. Okay, brothers and sisters, things that were donated to him through that organization, he gave it all back. And the one of the the, the missions director asked Brother Emmons, said, Brother Emmons, how are you going to live? Over there in Taiwan, how are you going to live? You're turning, you're giving it all up. How are you going to live? So I'm going to trust God. 
He told me, he said, I gave it all back. What they donated, the, the equipment and things. He said, I gave it back. And he said, one too much longer after that, supernaturally God arranged it for me to be in the ALJC. And he's never looked back. God has been faithful to him. God supports him. But see, that, that man, Brother Edmund's that kind of man. He's a man of principle. He stayed true to God, true to the Word of God, true to the call of God in his life. Even when it cost him, brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm serious. You think about an American over in a foreign field. Number one, don't have, if you're in a foreign field, you have to have an organization backing you up. You have to. It's by law. He don't have an organization backing him up. And now he don't have support. He turned it in. Obviously, there's some that was in that organization that stayed with him and continued to support him. But as far as he was concerned, he would walk away from all of it. As long as he could stay faithful to God and the call of God in his life. Amen. Now, I use that. Paul is an example. I use Brother Edmonds as an example. I want to be like those men. And I pray to God you like that. That you can't be bought. You can't be bribed. Amen. You know? Living for the Lord, sometimes there's a price to pay. It's all right. It's good. Part of being a Christian. There's a reason why, you know, Paul shook nations and kingdoms and so many people came into the kingdom through his ministry. It's the kind of man he was. Blessing you today? Is this blessing you? Yeah. Maybe Brother Evans will tell you all the story. I think maybe he's told you parts and pieces, you know, but maybe sometime he'll tell you the whole story. He's seen a lot of people come and go, man. The years he's been there, a lot. I can't remember how many missionaries he told us that have come there with the intention of, of being there. They didn't make it. No, but there was something in Brother Edmonds called faithfulness to God. You with me? He's still there today. I love him. And I know you love him. And, and I'm telling you, that's why I'm, I'm his friend. That's why I just do whatever I can for him. And I know you would too. I know you would too, brothers and sisters. I know you would. Because you know what kind of man he is. Right? Got too many people playing games, man. And be bought off, bribed, whatever. No. We need some real faithful people. Hallelujah. There have been times I've been, to be honest with you, now I. Don't give a second thought. But I knew, I knew in my heart, God talked to me for a long time about somebody. A long time in the nights. Christina, she knows. Talked to me a long time. And I just preached the Word of God and I was patient and prayed the Word of God would turn their heart. Kept preaching the Word of God and was patient and kept loving them, reaching out to them. And this went on for a long time. And it came time 
for me to meet with them in the office. And I knew when I met with them, they are going to be gone. I told the brother, they're going to be leaving. Those people brought a lot of money to this church. All I had to do was this. To God be the glory. Don't be a kind of person that takes bribes. Amen. Verse 15, it is, it is joy to the just to do judgment. It's joy. Joy. What time is it? Oh, it's nine o'clock. That's took a lot of time. You know what? It's, it's a joy to live the Christian life. I said it's a joy to live the Christian life. That's what the Bible says. You know, praise the Lord. How many of y'all enjoy living for the Lord? I enjoy living for the Lord. The Bible says it's a joy to do what's right. Praise God. I believe the Word of God. To do just judgment, to do what's right, but destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. Y'all believe that? Yes. Verse 16, the man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. Now listen, brothers and sisters, you think about this word here. The Bible talks about somebody that wanders from the way of righteousness shall, shall dwell in the congregation of the dead. Now, either this Bible's true or it's not. And it is true. And what that says to me is that you can know the truth and go away from it. How many people know the truth, but they wander away from it and they end up in the congregation of the dead? How many people have outgrown this Christian walk? After a while, they have no desire to dwell, to come and be a part of the little flock that's praying, that's doing Bible studies together. They have no desire to gather with the little little flock and serve God anymore. Why? Because they have outgrown that. And it happens to a lot of people. Not to few, but a lot. They'll live for God for a while and all of a sudden they get too big for their britches. And they outgrow the little flock. Brother Dice used to say it like this. He said, they're eagles sitting on hummingbird nests. And what he meant by that is the little church he pastored, one of the greatest preachers of the Word of God I've ever heard preach in my life, the little church he pastored 
some people started seeing that as a hummingbird nest and they started seeing themselves as eagles. They outgrow it. That's not a good growing. <laughs> to outgrow those things that save us. You often say it, brother. This saved us. Now all of a sudden it's going to become outdated. We're, at, we're, we're, we're bigger than that now. Oh, come on. I, got, I know a word for you. Brother and sister, some of you don't have a, a lengthy heritage in this. You know, you haven't been in Pentecost generations and generations and generations. Or maybe there's somebody here today, you've got a heritage in this. Are you starting to wonder? Are you starting to think, oh, there's a better way. No, Jeremiah said, give me the old paths. Wherein dwelleth righteousness. I don't have that. I, really, I promise, promise you, I don't have that mentality that I'm an eagle sitting on a hummingbird nest. I'm coming here to serve God whether there's few or there's many. I'm not looking to go pastor another church, bigger church. I'm looking to stay where God called me to stay. Called me to be. Uh, some people are looking for the big, next big thing. I'm not. I just want to serve God. How about you? Yeah. To outgrow it. Yeah, outgrow it. And you're in your 20s. <laughs> outgrow it. And you're in your 30s. See what I'm telling you? And what, so what happens is, the Bible talks about them, they end up in the congregation of the dead. One interpreter of this passage says, they begin to join themselves with prideful spirits. And so who do they hang with now? They, I'll tell you who they hang out with. They hang out with the people that in their minds they envy. They hang out with the wealthy businessman because they envy that person. They hang out with the popular politician because they envy that person. They hang out with people who have no desire for the kingdom of God. That's who their friends are. They hang out with the congregation of the dead, which is the congregation of those that have wandered. You are taught very well when it comes to the oneness of God. And we have taught you in the past, I have a series that we taught called One Hour in Oneness. And we teach you Scripture on the oneness of God. We teach you the history of the oneness of God throughout church history. So you are very well, very familiar as a church uh, 
by the Nicene Council, 325 A.D., that term, Constantine presided over it. Okay? And they got together and they were discussing, and I don't want to keep it too long and bore you, but they got together discussing the nature of Jesus Christ. And they began to debate back and forth. And there was a man that was there named Arius. And they were trying to hammer out the nature of Jesus Christ. So Arius comes in and he begins to debate. And he talks. He says, I believe that Jesus is God, but I believe He is a God, a little created God. Theological term, dy dynamic monarchianism. He said, I believe that God created Jesus as a lesser God or a God. So He did not believe in the full deity of Jesus Christ. Arius, you have his disciples today in the world. They are called Jehovah Witnesses. They translate John 1, 1, in the beginning, the Word was in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. They said a God. The disciples of Arius then are Jehovah Witnesses today. But here's what I want you to know that I have never told you before. And that, that Arius was a disciple of one of the most renowned theologians in the day. Lucian of Antioch. He was a celebrated theologian. He had tremendous knowledge of the Scripture and he was a man of purity and holiness and godliness and bold for Jesus Christ to the point, brothers and sisters, they put him in prison and they murdered him. Lucian, Lucius of Antioch was Arius' Bible teacher. He, Arius, was taught the right. He was taught the truth. But he wandered away from it and stood up and promoted a false doctrine in the, in the council of Nicaea. Now I want you to think about that. How many people have heard the truth and they've heard it preached and it was right and it was the truth like Arius but they wandered away from it and became a part of the congregation of the dead Constantinia Constantine's sister after Arius was excommunicated out of the church she went to Constantine and she begged Constantine to allow Arius to come back into the church. And I'm talking about the universal church, not the apostolic church. And Constantine agreed to allow Arius, this heretic, to be allowed to be brought back into the church. You with me? 
Well, he never repented of that false doctrine. But they were going to let him back in the church. And so, right before he was about to be brought back into the church, he and some of his people were walking down the street and they're all excited and they're all celebrating the fact that he's fixing to be reinstated back into the church even though he had this false doctrine. And people begin to pray against that decision. And he fell dead in the street right before he was going to be reinstated. He fell dead in the street of a stroke. And everybody said that was a divine judgment upon Arius for his false doctrine. Brothers and sisters, tonight you better get some spiritual glue in this hour especially. Some spiritual glue. You say, I am not wandering. I'm not going to outgrow in my mind what I have. And I'm going to stay faithful to God. I'm just going to tell you, as your pastor, that's where I am. I haven't outgrown you. Because I'm preaching the way I call to preach to, to one or a thousand makes no difference to me. Hallelujah! But, brothers and sisters, okay, and I'm your pastor, and I'm not preaching down to you. I'm trying to help you. I need it too. If you're not careful, you start hanging around a different crowd. It's no longer the congregation of the Lord. It's the congregation of the dead. And they become more your friends and family than the congregation of God. And I, I've got friends, I've got friends that are in the world, you know, and, and some of them treat me real good. They really do. Okay? But I don't let my relationships with them take the place of you and the church and the kingdom of God and the Word of God. And I've seen it. Oh, some people start wandering away from the church. Man, they start having parties. Everybody under the sun except people in the church. And I know exactly what's going on. They're replacing that congregation, this congregation, with a new one. What congregation tonight are we a part of? Hallelujah! Man, your soul, my soul, is hanging in the balance. What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? You realize that this world wants us, wants you. What congregation is the enemy saying you need to be a part of? And for you to be a part of that means you're going to have to set aside your standard of holiness. And maybe at first you do all right, but the pressure's on and you give in a little bit and more and more and more. 
Eternity is at stake. I met people in the past when we first started pastoring in Crane, Texas. I met them. Man, I didn't wouldn't even know it, but their their parents were formerly in Pentecost. Backslidden away from God. I wouldn't even known it. You'd be surprised. You would be surprised. How many people in Odessa, Texas, in this area, how many people have a Pentecostal background? You talk to them and say, you baptize, I'm baptizing you saying we got the Holy Spirit. Yeah, me too. I did. Really? And they're not living it anymore. Why? Because they wondered. They wondered. Now, let me just tell you something. That's what the devil's all about. Because when the Bible says when the Spirit is, is cast out of a person, okay, it'll leave you for a while. It'll leave me for a while. It'll go wander around. <clears throat> and the Bible says, he finds dry, dry places. When he says, you know what? <laughs> I don't like it in these dry places. As the Spirit says, okay, come here, buddy. And he picks out seven buddies. Hey, come with me. I used to live in somebody, and you know, they repented. They got their house clean. They repented. It's all swept. But let's just go back and let's see tonight if they're still full or not. Let's see tonight if they have been swept. But they're now vacant. And so the Bible says that spirit, the congregation of the dead, goes back and says... Yeah, that's the house right there. It was swept and clean. Let's see if there's anybody. Let's see if God is still there. Let's see if their walk is still there. Oh, not anymore. So the Bible says he takes with him those seven times worse than what they were before. Because they didn't stay full of God. They became a part of the congregation of the dead. And you can sit there and you can look at me with your bug eyes. But God is trying to save your wretched soul. Your prideful, arrogant. If you're not careful, that spirit, I've outgrown this. It's going to be the thing that takes you in to hell. And I can't do it tonight. I can't do it as a man. But I pray God hangs you over hell and lets you feel what the fires of hell are going to feel like if you wander away from God Almighty. It's time for some of you to repent and get right with God and get back on the right track. It's time tonight. Today is the day of salvation. I don't want to preach your funeral and wonder where you went. I want to know when I preach your funeral that you were right and you were ready and you were full of God and you were on fire. 
because you stayed in the congregation of the living. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, when you die, it won't be a mystery. It won't be a mystery. Because the fruit will be there. In the name of Jesus. Man, I'll tell you, I feel the Holy Ghost. And if you're like Drusilla, you don't tremble anymore. If you're like Drusilla, you don't tremble. You're in trouble. Because you're headed to that pit. Sister Carol and Sister Nicole, Sister Valerie, their brother, son, came to church and the Word of God would go forth and he would say when he left, he said, he would be shaking, trembling. If you come to the house of God and you shake and you tremble, don't leave without doing what you're supposed to do and need to do. I still at times tremble at His Word. And if you can come here and you can hear a word right now and you know you're not right and it don't cause you to tremble, Maybe you're already a part of the congregation of the dead. God has a congregation of the living. Hallelujah. Give the Lord praise in the house. Come on. There's nothing in this world worth dying and going to hell over. No person worth dying and going to hell over. No relationship worth dying and going to hell over. No job worth dying and going to hell over. Nothing in this world is worth dying and going to hell over. Well, somebody said, well, nobody knows what I'm doing. Oh, really? You don't think? When you come to church and you're dead? You don't think that God has not already made it known that you're involved in something that you should not be involved in but the grace of God one more time comes knocking on your door one more time knocking on that door and say come on let me in because you're really not as good at cover up as you think you are And I am still preaching this word. And you have, you are accountable to this word that you are hearing and have heard for years. You have to make up your mind. I know. I know it's so, in some cases, it's still easy to pastor some of you. Man, I'm not going to beat you up. It's still easy. But in some cases, it's not. It's not easy. Because you've grown up. 
and you grow up in the wrong direction, nobody can do anything, say anything that's going to make any difference anymore. Now, please don't take this lightly because I have preached like this before and with some it made no difference. But I'm still here and you're still here and I'm still preaching this Word and you're still hearing it. Look at your neighbor and help me preach. Say, don't wander into the congregation of the dead. You with me tonight? Arius did. He's a dead man. Died a heretic. <laughs> I am no man's eternal judge. Only God is. But I'm going to tell you right now, brothers and sisters, I cannot guarantee you if you forsake holiness that you're going to be in heaven. I cannot, I cannot promise you that if you leave this church and go to another church that doesn't preach the truth that you're going to be in heaven. I can't promise you that. Now, I have been taught by men of God who have long, long ago gone to be with the Lord. I have taught. I have been taught this. If you backslide and you go into the charismatic church, I was taught you're lost. Now, you can play the game and you can roll the dice and you can get all funny all you want to. But you're, you're making a big gamble. Because this is the Word of God. This is, not, this is not a denomination. This is not a man. This is the Word of God. And if you forsake that, how can you be saved? And I'll leave any and everybody's eternal destiny and judgment in the hands of God. But I'm telling you, man, as your pastor, I'm not going to have your blood on my hands. I'm going to tell you the truth. And I'm not telling you that tonight because I want your money. I'm telling you that tonight because I want you to be saved. And God will wrestle with you. And men will wrestle with you. Looks your neighbor and help me pray. Say, don't wander into the congregation of the dead. You can, you can be here tonight in this physical place and be a member of the congregation of the dead. I'm going to check myself, man. I'm going to check myself. How about you? How about you? Yeah. This is the, this is even the way that in raising my children, I raised them with this in my spirit. But if you leave God and you leave the truth, you have no hope of eternal life. Therefore, I will not meddle and interfere with God when you backslide. Because if I do, I could hinder God in His saving of your soul. 
And so if I've got to watch you go through hell on earth, I'm willing to do that in order to see you in heaven. And that governed my decisions in the past. And it still governs my decisions today. Okay? You know how long eternity is? How long? I'm not going to finish. I'll come back next week and I'll finish. I want you to stand. Father, in Your mighty name. Lord, I feel Your Spirit here tonight, Jesus. Lord, I just I, I put this whole service in Your hands. I put Your people in Your hands. God, tonight, Church, I'm not saying everybody in here is backslid. I'm just telling you, you better check it. Check it. You better check it. If there's any, any question in your mind, you need to lay aside pride and ego. If there's any question in your mind about your standing with the Lord, tonight there's an altar that's been opened up for you to come now. Any question in your mind. And I'll join you. I'll get down on my knees next to you. And I'll pray with you. Because I don't want any question in my mind either, brothers and sisters. Not one question. I'll kneel beside you and pray with you.